Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Exploded View. My name is Craig Makowitz. Each episode, I dive into a topic about industrial design, so you and I both walk away with more knowledge and insights about the world of industrial design. If you've already been listening for a while, thanks. I appreciate it. And if you're new, welcome. So let's jump into this week's episode. I think this week's episode is going to be pretty eye-opening for many of us. If you're listening, odds are you probably went to a design school or you're currently going to a design school. But I think what's interesting is that not many of us know how a design school is run. So for this week, we're going to be chatting about the future of design education. How are design schools adapting to the pandemic or making changes in their curriculum? And what's the reason for the increase in costs every year? I had the honor of chatting with Don Tusky, president of the College of Creative Studies in Detroit, Michigan. I got to ask him a lot of the questions I think we've all been pretty curious about. So let's jump in. Don Tusky, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you, Greg. I'm really excited to be here. I was reached out to by uh, CCS or College for Creative Studies to have you on. It was a really exciting moment because I think these conversations around education have come up quite a bit, um, especially with what's transitioned in, in COVID and, and how schools have had to adapt and change over the past year. So I'm excited to get your take on that in a little bit, but also hear more about you and and your perspective on education. You're new mm-hmm. to the position at CCS. So yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. I'm, I'm glad to have you on and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. You're welcome. So let's start out a little bit about your background. So you're a, a doctor, you have a PhD in anthropology and a master's in anthropology. And uh, I'm curious if you could give us a little bit of background on, on what led you down that path before we jump into the education side of things. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I have a background in, in anthropology, as you mentioned, a master's in, in PhD. My undergraduate actually is in biology and chemistry. I'm from the I'm from the Detroit area, um, Hazel Park, actually, and uh, went to a little college called Olivet College, where I fell in love with higher education. And I, um, as you think about different careers, you know, what's really clear is I just love the idea of higher education, learning about the world yourself, collaborating with different people. I had uh, had a year of painting in, in at Olivet, which I don't uh, talk a lot about because I'm at an art school and I've done some graphic design and woodworking. But I think that oh, wow. that, that um, being being at Olivet really helped me. It's a small school, maybe a little actually a little smaller than, than CCS, but it really got me um, excited to be a part of higher ed in, in one way or another. And so I've done a lot of things from student life, residence halls, coaching teaching. I still teach a class each year where I'm at, like I'm teaching a class right now at CCS. So, and I think I got into anthropology because I had three or four classes at Olivet in, and I just fell in love with understanding different perspectives and different cultures. And uh, that actually degree really helps, helps me as being a president of, of an art school. And I've been president of a couple other art schools as well as Olivet College. I was at Olivet College from 1981 to 2010. The last nine years as president, which was wonderful. And I went from there to uh, Maine College of Art in Portland, Maine for six years and then out west to Pacific Northwest College of Art in Portland, Oregon. And then this job opened up and I'm back here um, in Detroit, Michigan, near a road I grew up on about three or four miles north. So it's uh, oh, wow. <laughs> it's uh, John R. in Woodward Avenue. I grew up uh, about three or four miles north. So I knew the area and... Uh, uh, and I was just excited to come come back to Detroit and all the exciting things. I feel lucky to be in Detroit these days with all the exciting things going on. But 
I just got, I just fell in love with, with higher education and the idea of how it expands your thinking about the world and yourself. So. And I'm, I'm interested that you have experience on both coasts and then you're also in the Midwest. Is there anything that's particularly interesting about, you know, having that experience on the different coasts and then coming back to the Midwest, uh, any changes in the way you've developed out your career? You know, uh, I feel lucky to have, have lived and worked in, in three beautiful states, Maine, Michigan, and Oregon. And, uh, the, the East Coast is different than the West Coast and geography wise, even culturally. I think some of my takeaways from living on and working on both coasts and then back in the Midwest is that it really expands your sense of the country and the world and its diversity. And it's allowed me to, to see art and design differently in New England or on the main coast versus the Northwest. Um, and understand, you know, the influences of art and design. Um, the Midwest, though, with its great history of art and design and craft, that's how CCS started. And with the, the the transportation industry, the car industry in Michigan and Detroit, um, how that's influenced uh, the city of Detroit historically and even right now um, in a way that you don't find in, in the Northeast or the Northwest. Uh, Detroit being a big, still a big hub of industry influences design a lot. And it's still Detroit's a, um, a great international city still with a lot of great art and design and, and craft. Yeah, as a disclaimer too, I did go to cultural critic studies as well. And I just absolutely loved my experience at in, in Detroit at the school, of course, but you know, just being in that epicenter of uh, the automotive world, but also manufacturing in general, it, it was eye-opening and, and a really good experience. Well, because the art school has a great history of being part of that, um, going back right. to really part of the of the twentieth century. So, and and can you share a little bit about um, that history there for the College of Creative Studies? Because for those who don't know the school, just give kind of an introduction to to the school a little bit about its past. Yeah, it was founded in the early part of the twentieth century as a Society for Art and Craft, and so we started out like a lot of art and design schools, real strong, and we still are in art and and, and craft. Um, but as we got into the 1920s and 30s, um, with transportation and de- development of the automobile, that there was a need to have more design. And in fact, CCS at the time was one of the one of the first colleges, if not the first college, to make the drawing of a car an art form. And some people thought, how could you do that? Well, if you think about the early early cars, they they uh, were pretty homogenous. Not very colorful, and those were for production reasons. But as we got into the 20s and 30s, people wanted different looking cars. And uh, CCS, being here in Detroit, we um, we had our we had people, students, and faculty who started drawing cars as an art form, and that led to the automakers from Ford to General Motors to Chrysler at the time to develop uh, design departments. Um, that really brought in artists and designers to really design cars and make them artistic. And that still is something really important today. If you think about automobile design, the need for a really great artist who is a designer. Mm. It, and it's interesting because that this profession is so young, industrial design, it, it, compared to something like anthropology too. I mean, it's it's wild to be able to track the history of 
industrial design uh, only going back so far. I mean, it's, it's existed in different methods, right. but industrial design is kind of a, it's unique in that sense that it is so mm-hmm. young. It is young. And, and I think it's one of the things we're discovering is the need for more design education and design thinking in K through 12 and K through 16. In that there's a lot of bad design in the world, um, and so we need we need more we need better design. And that the more we can teach that, and and there are there's an organization, Michigan Design Council in in Michigan here, which is which is really helping to have uh, more uh, design being taught in K through 12. We're collaborating with schools and helping them um, develop curriculum around design, but there really is a need for um, design thinking and design teaching and curriculum. In, in K through 12, because we have everything else. We have everything, not everything else, but we have a lot. But mm-hmm. we, there really is a need for more uh, design curriculum in uh, the K through 12 systems. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing that up because the, the topic of this discussion for Explodive View is the future of design education. And I think it's important that we both reflect on you know, the current state of things, but also looking back at the past, as you just described with you know, where CCS has come from, in that progression, but then, you know, what are the steps that CCS and, and design schools in general are kind of taking to adapt to the, the new needs and desires of the economy and the students that, you know, are trying to enter it from specifically industrial design perspective. That's what we're looking at today. But I think, I think that's a good transition into kind of understanding the future of, of design education as a whole. So to kind of develop that story out and understand what the future of design education is, I think it'd be nice to understand the business of an art school and you being mm-hmm. the president of, of cultural creative studies, I mm-hmm. think it'd be helpful for us to understand it because it's, it's an area that has always, has always been a foggy area for me. I don't totally understand how a business, what, what the business of an art school is and how it's run. So could you give us mm-hmm. a little bit of insight there? kind of um, open the doors to how an art school is run. Yes. And I think about it all the time. Um, <laughs> and so, right. uh, well, first of all, there's a real need for creativity in the world. And, 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 and actually, your most successful people in other disciplines like business or law or medicine or even athletics, um, they're very creative people. Art and design schools like CCS, we specialize in creativity. And uh, that that creativity is something that helps solve complex problems. And so uh, I don't always think art and design schools have been good at articulating this, but being good in terms of uh, a creative professional, art and design schools are, are really the, we're the, we're the, the, the specialists in that area. Mm-hmm. And so the, the model of an art and design school is to provide artists, designers, creative professionals provide society and communities with very creative people who are hardworking, who are collaborative, who have, you know, they might have their own studios. They may work out in the community. They may start their own companies. They're all, many of them are entrepreneurs. And I'll talk more about that later, but art design schools have been a very important part of American history. You know, certainly in the last hundred years and our alums have gone off and done many things. And so the business model of doing that is that there are about 30 or so independent art and design colleges in the United States that, and then the in, independent part is really important because it allows us to do things, um, um, be creative, create that cutting edge instead of just being on it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people like, I want to be on the cutting edge. Well, art and design schools like CCS, we create that. As I mentioned, 
being the one of the first colleges to make the drawing of a car an art form. Um, now we're making, you know, we're drawing, we're designing cars that are autonomous, but are actually rolling robots. Mm, yep. And that there's a real need for better and better design. And the business part of it is, is that because we're independent, we're private, we're nonprofit. And that means we, we don't, nobody profits off CCS. Our board of trustees actually pay to be in our board. They're volunteers and they donate to us. And that we don't get state funding. Um, we're independent. And uh, so we are run our business model. Our students pay tuition dollars and, and their parents. Um, and then I, I work on raising money. And so the two main sources of revenue to run a place like College for Creative Studies is student tuition and then donations from our board members, from foundations, from other individuals who believe in the power and the need for art and design. And I spend a lot of time talking with those folks and articulating what we're doing, what we're doing new. And um, art design schools, as I mentioned, it's about creating that new cutting edge, um, not just being on it. And I think that um, as we articulate that better and better to a wider group, I actually believe there are more creative students in high schools that actually belong in an art and design because they are creative. Mm. And that when you go to an independent college like independent art and design school like CCS, you're around other very creative people. And you remember this, Craig, in terms of that you come to an environment where the, the creativity is just uh, it's intoxicating and it's and it's great. And you learn from your, your students, your fellow students, you learn from your faculty and staff. And so the model is really trying to figure out how to have world class faculty and staff uh, scholarship students enough to make it affordable to have world class facilities that now often involves a lot of technology. Um, but also we have, you know, still a great campus experience. And we're one of the few art design colleges that has great product design, transportation design, different types of design programs. But we also have entertainment arts now. Um, we still have a fine art program that we call art practice. And we have a wonderful craft program. All that takes resources and it takes resources every year to keep updating with software um, and uh, the, the kind of computers you need. So a large part of my job um, is also really trying to secure those resources to also look at making sure uh, CCS is as efficient as possible. And there is a problem of higher ed, all of higher ed, of rising costs and student debt. And I'm very sensitive to that. And that's something that I, I work on all the time. And I'll give you one example at CCS in terms of trying to keep our overall business model is efficient and cost effective if possible. So our students can afford to be here is that I'm always looking to sort of flatten the organization. Hmm. And I'm a big fan of no silos and having people interact across campus. And when I got here, we didn't have a provost. A lot of schools have a provost, which is like a super dean. And I felt right. when I got here, I talked to enough faculty members and chairs and deans that I thought we have our, we have plenty of creative intellectual talent at CCS. So we're operating with some great deans, chairs, faculty, staff, other vice presidents, but we're not spending money on a provost right now in order to take those, save those resources. Um, because I also believe in homegrown talent and then CCS is a world-class art and design school because of the world-class faculty and staff and administrators. And it's had great leadership in the past. The past president was here 25 years, Rick Rogers, mm -hmm. with Keith Crane, who was the chair for 25 years. And they did fantastic things together with the, the faculty, staff, and our, and our great board. 
So, um, so the business model is, you know, being private, you don't get state, any state funding, right? Uh, students do get financial aid from the federal state if they qualify. We provide as much financial aid as possible. And we're always trying to figure out ways to do more. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Cause it's a, it's you describing that cause it's interesting to, to hear what that, what that system is in place and you know, that runs the, the school as a whole. Cause I think that piece of it, the, the trust, the trustees and those who are kind of the investors, it's interesting to hear their side of it. So what's the perspective from their view? You mentioned that, you know, they're interested in seeing creative endeavors kind of moving forward, but but what is their kind of, what is their thinking behind the investments in, in CCS or into art schools in general? Um, The board members thinking is first of all, they get connected to us in different ways. Some of them are connected to us through transportation we have the heads of design from the big three automakers on our board, which is pretty impressive. Um, we do a lot of sponsored projects with different companies and none of them are the big three automakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one one connection. And then we have other uh, connections through our previous board chair, Keith Crane and then Rick Rogers and other board members. And they come on because they are interested in art and design. And they some of them do know the impact it makes in their own businesses, their own nonprofits that they're part of. Some of them um, are connected to us through um, the Ford family, um, other families that have been in Detroit for a long time. Um, they get connected to us that way. Um, mm-hmm. And they also are interested in, it's, this is an interesting thing I've observed um, at other art and design schools and a lot here at CCS is that there's something about creativity and what happens at an art and design school with artists, young artists and designers who are exploring these careers and learning about these careers that really captures the imagination of our board. And so we always make it a point to, to connect our board members with certainly our faculty and staff, but also students. And that there is something to be said for, you know, going to an art and design school like yourself, Craig, that you, you are, you know, you are taking a risk and you are brave to put yourself out there in a creative way. Cause a lot of higher ed is, it's not about learning creativity. It's about learning specific facts and information. Mm-hmm. But at an art and design school, you learn and apply in real time. And I and and and, and the idea of creativity, um, how that actually happens, is really not something that's really clear to a lot of people. It's just there's a need for, to come up with something new, authentic, or original, um, and being distinctive. And that's that's what art and design schools do. And I think that attracts board members who understand a little bit of that. Um, and that really get excited to be a part of that and help support to support more of it. And I think that, you know, the work that we do um, in the communities, the work that we do through this concept called inclusive design, um, that really actually is a way for designers to really involve the community and people who are going to use the products, the processes um, in the design process to products. Yeah, that's great. Cause it's something that as industrial designers out in the field, you know, that's something we're experiencing all the time is you have to, you, you have to talk to the end consumer, you have to get that data. Um, so to have that experience being injected into the education process too. Cause I, I know the earlier you can do that, the better it's, uh, it's so yeah, we, have a, we have a part of CCS it's called design core and it's, uh, an organization that's part of CCS, but it supports area designers with with like workshops and, and conferences around inclusive design because mm. we you know there be, you know one thing about art and design school there's always room to be doing something better 
or um, improve on how we do things. And so, you know, it's part of like, like adding anthropology to designers, you, uh, you know, going out and listening and doing field work and an ethnography about your users, about what they really want and need in their products. Right. And so it's, it makes, and, and you know, now it just kind of makes perfect sense, but it hasn't always been that way. Right. Um, I think that there's been less, less interaction with the, and now there's more. And that's sort of becoming the industry standards that you just, you know, it's automatic. You have to be an inclusive designer. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're kind of highlighting that point because I think it's so important. I, I do want to jump back really quick too, because I think I, I owe it to the listener too, to have a conversation around the cost, because I think those yeah. are the pieces that I think as somebody who's industrial design, I'm still paying back my loans you know, understanding mm-hmm. the the scale of the costs and how quickly the costs are rising, I think it's important to understand. You know what's driving that. So, you know, just a couple of numbers that I've I've come across. You know, just mm-hmm. for inflation, the costs increased roughly 140 percent over the past 10 years. Um, college costs have increased eight times faster than wages since the early 90s. So we see this constant upward momentum in the cost of tuition and the cost mm-hmm. of classes. What's driving those costs mm-hmm. as somebody's kind of sitting and listening and maybe paying back those student loans or in the process of uh, going to school? What's driving that increase yeah. and that that quick increase in escalation in costs? Yeah, and, and then when you add up all the student debt, it's like it's one point six trillion dollars. Yeah. Trillion. So it's a lot. There's a number of things that drive the costs. And part of it, I mentioned some of the things we're doing. But so part of the drive is that in order to stay up on on the, all the new technological developments, new software, um, there's a there's a cost there. Um, and one of the things that we did is we got a grant last summer in the middle of COVID for $1.2 million to provide more technology. But technology in general is it drives drives costs. Um, and so that's one area. I think um, in terms of staffing and faculty, I mentioned that administrative costs have gone up. Um, there's a proliferation, I think, in, in higher ed in general of, of positions that have been like maybe one position, now they're two. And I think that higher ed has to look at itself in terms of where and how we spend money. Because you, when you add positions, that money has to come from someplace. Right. And a lot of times it's coming from tuition dollars or tuition increases. So at the other schools I've been at, and, and including CCS, one of the things that I've done since I've been here and COVID actually, you know, pressed us to do this too, is look at where, where are things that we don't have to do and, and that, that don't really focus on student learning of art and design. Uh, I think so. So we're looking at some of those areas. Um, parents want certain services. Um, there's been a new premium on the importance of student health and wellness and having more of that for our students. And so what we did on that instead of just trying to put a new fee in place to pay for more access for health and wellness year round, what we did there was we had a couple board members that provided support for the next three to four or five years on more student health and wellness counseling, those type of supports. And Mm -hmm. that is really needed certainly during COVID, but even without COVID, there's a need for that. So if you're not funding it from a outside source or foundation, or in this case, two board members, that, that's got to come from someplace that will drive costs. Our facilities, um, as and uh, Craig, we have world-class facilities. Our facilities, you're not going to find these facilities even at a University of Michigan or Michigan State. It's a little bit in some areas, but we we have some really great facilities, and um, they're some of them are expensive. Um, mm-hmm. When you do when you're doing all the design that we do, 
all the craft that we do and all the fine art or art practice we do, all the entertainment arts that we do, there's a cost to that. And, and if you want world-class faculty to do that, there's a cost to that as well. Right. And so that drives the cost. But I think overall, if I, my general view of higher ed is that there is a proliferation of some positions or administration. And I've been at, at all my schools, I always look at, you know, can we have other people take on some of those roles? And I'll give you one more example at CCS. We don't have a provost which in a lot of ways becomes sort of, in addition to the president, sort of the the academic leader. But we have plenty of chairs and some deans who have plenty of creative academic leadership right here already. Why would we want to go out and spend on a senior level administrator when we have people, and I'm a big fan of homegrown talent, Craig, Mm -hmm. right here on our, you know, at CCS already, and I'm a big fan of empowering them, faculty and staff, chairs, directors, managers, to do the same thing as a provost and to really think hard about um, what tasks or jobs that uh, or responsibilities a provost have and spread that out and take down some silos. And, uh, and, as, and as I stay at CCS and, and continue to work with faculty and staff and administration, we're always going to look at where we can be more cost effective so students don't, you know, have to pay as much. And, uh, you know, as you just mentioned, you have student student loans that you're paying back. I was paying back my student loans for a long time as well, being in a private small liberal arts. But so there's a number of things driving it from technology and facilities to people right. um, that, you know, faculty and staff and that, you know, and, and then my job is to look at are, are we do we have those resources focused as strategically as we could, is there a better way to focus on even more on students? And I think part of what we've done through COVID is really think hard about every dollar and where it goes. And then also about, you know, when a dollar, we're spending a dollar on some type of outside contractor or service, can can we get a better deal there? And I'm big on doing that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that sort of answers, I think, some of the question um, but overall cost is looking at, you know, when somebody leaves or if you don't have, if a vacant position, can some other people do that? So we're not pressing on the tuition as much. Yeah, I, I appreciate you going into that because I think that that piece of it is the, you know, is the question that's on a lot of people's minds. Is, yep, you know, what, it should be. Yeah, is the cost. Is it, it is it is a, a huge amount that um, it's an investment in your future. So there's the flip side of it and the importance of. Um, you know, if this is an area that you do want to explore is, is to get a good education in it and to mm-hmm. build a network and a community base, because that's the other side of the benefit of going to a college uh, is to have the network of people around you that yep. you kind of build while you're going to school. So understanding where those costs are coming from and why they're yeah. going up, but also understanding what you're doing to kind of help bring those costs back down or, you know, provide that value to the students uh, in, in a meaningful way. Yeah, and there's, an, there's the one other caveat to that. There's there you know there's really no panacea to it. There's a number of variables to to address, and so there's the your over all of your overhead and where you spend your your each dollar. Um, but there's also the fundraising part, and and um, and part of my job earlier is to I was mentioning fund fundraising and working with foundations, donors. Um, to provide more money for any endowment for more scholarship. And that's going to help. And we're putting a really big emphasis on that right now as that fundraising part. 
where we have we have you know people who are interested in supporting young artists and designers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be exciting to see how that progresses too, because I and, and CCS is a very solid endowment, from my understanding. It is. It it it, it could be better, and it and it needs to be better, so it spins off more scholarship money. Right. And, uh, um, and we are, we're making it through COVID working really hard, staying close to students. Our enrollment is holding, but I am becoming more aggressive with the fundraising because that will help as we, as we stay cost effective. I'm a big fan of looking at operations all the time to stay cost effective. So if we could raise more money and, and, and become more efficient, those two things together will help keep it, help get it to a really more cost effective, uh, art and design school for more students. Right. And I think you you just made a, a really good transition for us because I think cost also drives, you know, who can also go to the school. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be nice to, to discuss that piece of it. Yeah. So for instance, minority groups, it's, it's very difficult for some uh, groups to get into design schools because cost is so overwhelming. So you mentioned scholarships. What is what is the school doing to help bring uh, that diversity into the school and allow more people to take advantage of, of the education? Well, as you're, you're mentioning, Craig, we're, we're not very accessible to a wide range of students. We do have a fair amount of diversity because of where we're at, but we, are, we really are not as diverse as we need to be for being in the middle of Detroit. And that CCS is not accessible financially to a lot of students because of the cost Although we do scholarship a lot, and I can talk more about that, but we also are the way our schedule is set up, the way our summers are run, the way our curriculum is laid out, we could be more flexible and accessible that way. But we are working on 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 more scholarships, so more area students in, in Detroit and beyond, um, and high need students can attend CCS. Right now, we have about thirty to thirty five percent of Pell Grant students or high need students that we can do a better job of funding them. We're working on that. We're also collaborating with some area high schools that have a lot of creativity, Detroit School of the Arts or DSA, University Prep Art and Design, which is actually located in one of our buildings at Taubin Center. Um, we are collaborating also with Pencil uh, Design Academy out of Portland, Oregon. Uh, Dwayne Edwards was a designer for, for Nike for a long time for Jordan brand. And right. I've I've connected with Dwayne when I was in Portland and I'm still connected with Dwayne and we're collaborating on bringing more uh, young brown and black students into uh, the design world. And that's what Pencil was founded on. So I think part of the solution is focusing on uh, some collaborations, focusing on even more financial aid, and then also um, having people right at CCS who are diverse. We hired our first dean for equity and inclusion, Dr. Deidre Young. And so she's been a great leader with helping us think through how we can be um, even more diverse, more equitable, more inclu- inclusive. And in fact, in a couple of weeks, uh, Deidre and I will be meet, uh, Zooming with Dwayne about some collaborations we have planned uh, for this coming year. So it's a number of different things. I think we also need to be clear, you know, you, you, we've done well with careers for students to do sponsored projects, but there's an opportunity to do that for a lot more students and to collaborate with industry, the nonprofit world, to have every student at CCS have a clear career opportunity while they're still at CCS. And, uh, um, we can be a little bit more consistent with that. 
And so, um, and we're working with the area automobile manufacturers too. They want more diversity in their, their companies and they're willing to put more scholarship to it. And that's exactly what they're doing. Mm. So it's a combination of, of multiple things to have the expertise in house, as I mentioned with, with Dr. Young, to collaborate with the U Prep Art and Designs, the DSAs and, and Pencil, and then also provide uh, enough scholarship so more area kids can attend CCS. That's great. It's, uh, it's nice to hear that those changes are happening. There's advancements in the space. It's so important. I, I think another piece of it too is uh, women in industrial design. I understand that they make up less of a percentage of leadership yep. in design. What steps do you think CCS can do and design education in general as a whole can do to prove those numbers and, and bring them up? Because I did notice, I, I taught at CCS for a year. And I did notice that my classes had a better split between women and men. But um, I'm just curious because that change, I don't see as much in the field and the numbers reflect that. So what do you, what's your take on women in industrial design making up that smaller percentage of leadership positions and in ID? What, what's your take there? Well, there, I think there's a, it's another opportunity. And I'll give you an example of how it can, it can happen, more of it can happen. We have some great alumni that are out in the world doing some great things, including some great alum, female alumni that, and I'll give one example. When I do a lot of open houses and virtual open houses now, and I'll highlight different alumni. And one, one alumni that I highlight is Veronica Scott, who was an industrial um, product designer back, I think, 2010. Mm-hmm. And her project was to, to develop or design a winter coat for people without homes, what we used to call homeless folks. And having worked with people without homes, I really was intrigued by what Veronica did. So as part of her inclusive design process, she went out and talked to these folks that didn't have home have homes. And one of the things they said to her in her research was they needed more than coats. They needed jobs. Mm. That, that, so Veronica, I got to meet Veronica too right before COVID, which I was happy about because I was oh, so yeah. just, in, just amazed at this at this project and amazed at Veronica. So she started Empowerment Plan, which is a nonprofit uh, organization that designs and makes winter coats for people without homes. And she employs people with who are homeless, who don't have homes. And she helps them get to a point where they can actually have a place to live through this whole process. And so there's a huge example. I call this example of design for the greater good. And so anytime I do an open house or virtual uh, presentation, I will include Veronica with all the other alums we have. And I was did that in December. I was the sort of the keynote for Michigan Design Council competition, Michigan Design Council, which actually is run by David Byron, who is an alum. He's chair of the board there. And they have this competition and um, with different elementary schools, middle schools and high schools. And it just so happens this year. David's daughter won uh, one of the awards and she heard about Veronica Scott and can't stop talking about this Veronica. And <laughs> so I think part of the, the strategy is to, is to have just same thing when it comes to students of color is to provide examples, uh, models of diverse designers teaching for us so people can see that, yes, you can go and do great things like Veronica Scott as a girl, as a female. And so this, this, this young girl now who I think was maybe in third grade 
She's got it in her head now. She wants to do things like Veronica. And I think it's important that it's amazing. We, do, we take the, the few female alums we have and some of the diverse alums. Um, I've been connecting through Dwayne Edwards and our alumni. We have a lot of uh, female black footwear designers. And I've been connecting some of those alumni from CCS to some of our current female students in design or illustration or entertainment arts. So part of it is, and you mentioned earlier about the alumni network, we are really ramping up connecting our current students to alumni out there doing great things. And we have alumni, you know, 25 alumni at, at Nike itself that we've, we're connecting to, we're connecting to um, our current students. Yeah, so part of it is, is is having our students see other examples and then building on that. The four vice presidents at CCS are all females. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Great I inherited two and then um, hired two. So it's, uh, and then we have some deans who are males and one is a female. So, but we can be more diverse though. So in other ways. And so yeah. we're going to work on that. And then recruiting, you know, when we go to recruit from, from actually we're recruiting in middle school now too, by the way, because mm-hmm. what happens with the art teachers, um, they're saying that students are deciding by, you know, eighth or ninth grade, what they want to do. So we got to, we got to be in the middle schools too, which we are. Yeah, that's good. Because uh, I think for uh, young individuals who are creative, they don't necessarily know that there is an outlet for them in design. So it's, it's nice to hear that those initiatives are happening in you know, the K through 12 programs, because it, it, it's just so important to introduce the the idea to them early on um, as an option, because like I said, yep. and, and like you said, not, not many people know that it exists and that's changing, um, but it's so important to continue that initiative to, to make sure people know that's an option for them in the future. So let, let's, I'm, I'm interested to learn about how COVID has also impacted design education. And, and I know it's been such a drastic change for everybody, but specifically for CCS and, and design education, could you talk to us a little bit about, a little bit about how COVID has impacted design education as a whole, and and the students and the teachers uh, and, and those who work within within the college? How how do you see it's impacted CCS, and how are you guys handling uh, COVID? Yeah, so like all of higher ed and even K through twelve, we ha- we had to pivot. Um, uh, pretty quickly last winter and well spring and we we're all learning a lot more about zoom and how to, like I'm my class that I'm teaching so much more adept at it than I was last year but I'll give you an example of where we pivoted and what it what it what we discovered having to be really creative by taking a art and design school from a mostly on-campus in-person delivery platform to virtual so and I mentioned these sponsored projects. Um, we had one last winter with Ford Motor Company and, and specifically Mustang. And they wanted our students to rethink what the Mustang brand could be in 10 years, like in wow, 2030. What a great project. Oh, I mean, our, these, <laughs> I can't tell, I can't think enough the, the big three automakers in Detroit here because they come up with this fantastic projects for our students. And the goal is to have all of our students have not just with the OEMs, but with, or the automobile, but all different types of companies. So these our students are, you know, of course, in a transportation design class, they're all excited. They start their project. And as they get to the point where they're going to start their clay models and their storyboards, COVID hits. And so what ended up happening is that our, our students 
because they couldn't do their clay models. The static storyboard wasn't going to work. They learned um, a a gaming uh, software uh, uh, program called Unreal Engine. You might be familiar with it if you play Fortnite, yeah. uh, Epic and Epic Games. So it's just, it's a very popular platform for gamers to build their games on, and it's, it's for 3D animation. So these transportation students learned a certain amount or a lot of Unreal Engine. And to animate their Mustang designs, because what happened, they, they were taking the idea of the Mustang and taking it off road, making it into a work thing. I mean, they, they were going off different directions. And so these students learned Unreal Engine and then they learned to do, they took their storyboards that it would make and put them into a slide deck. And actually it, it helped them become better presenters, because when you have a slide deck, you can stay more organized. And sometimes in a storyboard, you can meander around a little bit. And what so what it did, I, I, I zoom in on these these sponsor projects. I went to them when I was with me before COVID. But when I saw the final product, we had these students that were had their 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 storyboard in the form of slide decks with drawings, all their ideations, their research. And then at the end of their presentation, they had the animation of their of their design. And the wow. four designers went berserk. They just loved it because all of a sudden, what was usually a much more static presentation, and, and the clay models are still important because of the lines you can get with a clay model and the human hand. But what we'll end up doing as we come out of COVID, and other departments are doing the same thing using Unreal Engine uh, outside of gaming, but we will we'll keep uh, you know this animation part. So you have a we'll have a clay model. We'll have a slide deck and a more dynamic storyboard, and then we'll have an animation. And that came mm-hmm. directly out of pivoting and reacting to and being creative problem solvers with COVID. And wow. uh, so, and, and and for my own class, I was teaching at the same time, and I felt so bad for the students because I had seniors and everything, and this was just really difficult. So I promised what I started doing with my students is zooming individually with my students for a half hour um, every other week with, with different students. And I'm still zooming with some of them. Yeah. As I'm teaching now, but what I've learned with the zoom is that I can have some very efficient half hour, high powered intense career discussions with my students, which then I'm helping them connect them with career opportunities. But the zoom thing allows us to do that, whether you need to be in person or not, because you can, you don't have to, you don't travel time. You don't have to wait. You can have check-ins. It's it's allowed us to think differently about student interaction. We all want to be interacting in person, by the way, Craig. I want to make right. that clear. <laughs> but in order to really create community, can you imagine now what we know with Zoom and other platforms and what we know about the importance of being in the same room? Having the best of both worlds coming out of COVID is really going to be great. And in fact, that's been sort of our mantra. We want to come out of this out of the COVID pandemic even stronger as an institution. And I think I think we will be. And the idea of how we can use Zoom in a totally different way in a way and, and build community both virtually and in person is really exciting. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting to see how we've adapted as a culture around Zoom. And I'm sure from your, your anthropology background, it's just interesting to see how our culture has shifted and how we've all adapted to, you know, this new experience with having to be on Zoom and, and FaceTime with individuals and, and work through that whole new process and experience. 
Um, I, I want to underline something that you said, because I think it's really interesting. So you said to your, 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 your students, now you're the president of CCS, yeah. but you also, you're, you're teaching as well while you're there. Yeah. So can, you, can you talk yeah. about that and um, the reason why you're doing that? Well, the reason, well, first of all, I love it. All right. Yeah. I teach Monday morning, 830. People think I'm crazy. But at one point, <laughs> the register at one of my schools asked, "Would we can't get anybody to teach first thing Monday morning. And I said, I'll do it. And I just have come to love it first thing Monday morning. I get up mm-hmm. really early and I'm at the office real early and you feel really good until six o'clock hits at night. And you've been up since five o'clock. Or, yeah. But the other part of it is, is that's the kind of person I am. I've always taught and I've always enjoyed it. And one class, I think I can manage. And you learn things from students um, that are just phenomenal. And I, I view students as educators. And in fact, one of the other mantras at CCS is that we're all educators, faculty, staff, trustees, administration, and students, as well as alumni. And so I learned great stuff from students. And then I learned things. Students will tell you things nobody else will tell you. And you need to hear that stuff. Yeah, right. and, and sometimes it might not be true, but you need to run that down. Yeah. And it allows me to really understand what works and what doesn't work at CCS. Um, and we have a great relationship with student government that we do too. But allows being an anthropologist, I like to know firsthand through participant observation what works. And so hmm. I look forward to early Monday mornings. And then now I'm having my half, my half hour. I've had one this week already. Zoom meeting with a student. I'm still Zooming with some students from last spring because I said, I will Zoom with you guys for the rest of your careers because this is such a challenging time. And I'm still Zooming with a product design student and a few others. But I think that you learn. I mean, that's why we're all here and be connected right. to students. I think that's why a big university has never been anything that I was really interested in. And I think creativity is so powerful and important. I think, you know, places like CCS are a real part of the future of higher education as well as making society better. And I want to be there on the ground level interacting with students as well as with trustees. And so I get so much out of it and I learn so much. Um, and that, and it really, I think it helps me be a better president. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. It's a really interesting method for understanding the school and, and the culture around it, but also continue your, your passion so it's fun to hear about. I want to. I do want to jump back into the COVID because I think it has changed us so much. Can you give us just a an understanding of how that experience has changed for students? So you know, how are they adapting to the, the standard classes in, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. online education? So does everybody yeah. is everybody joining the classroom? Is some people are some people coming back into the school or you know what's yeah. the process like? What does that look? Yeah, like? we actually last and this was this is goes back to last fall. Um, we've done, we do a lot of testing. Um, we've had very few cases of COVID on campus when I'm very cool, single, single digits. And, uh, so we do, we've done a lot of testing. I think I'm at number 11 of tests, all negative. And now vaccines are coming online, which is going to be helpful. I think for the students right now, the model that we have is a blended model. We have a lot of liberal arts classes like mine, which are, we're, are zooming in a synchronous mode, which meaning in real time. And then we have a lot of hybrid courses where you might see a, a, pre, a demonstration online and you go to the, the lab, the studio, the shop to do your work. And then we have classes that are all in person, especially in some of the art practice and craft, as well as some of the design. You need to have your, your facilities, the equipment, the, you know, the, the rapid prototypers, the 3D printers, the CNC routers to do that 3D work. 
Right. So it, it's 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 changed um, right now. That's the platform. And, and it's been hard for some students when you don't choose online education. Um, like last spring, it's hard. But I think faculty worked, faculty and staff worked really hard over the summer to, to really ramp up our game on online. We did a lot of work um, in the fall as well. We're actually going to choose our new learning management system and have a, a, a much newer user-friendly one by next fall. That was prompted. So mm-hmm. students, uh, our enrollment is, is held. We actually had, our enrollment was almost like the year before on September. And we had, we lost some students, but gained some students because some students simply did not want to be online. But then we have students, we have about 50 students that are completely online right now because they're either don't want to come to campus or they're international and they're in a different part of the world. So, right. um, I think that one of the most challenging things for all of our students, including our students who are on campus, is that the community sense of being on campus, you have to build that through Zoom. And that it's even hard on campus because, you know, we're not allowing students to gather in any big groups. And um, we actually have really great safety protocols. Our student government has been fantastic. I got to give a big shout out to student government because they are just they've been really helpful with helping us understand what would work with students and what didn't. For example, they said, look, if you could have testing on campus every couple of weeks, that's the best way. And we don't require it. We're not going to require the vaccine either, but we're going to highly encourage it. And we think we, we, we get most of the students, faculty and staff that way. And that student government has been really helpful um, as a leader with the safety protocols for dealing with, with uh, the, the COVID pandemic. And um, but it, it's been hard on students talking to health and wellness people where, you know, that it, 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 we all feel isolated to some degree. And even students living on campus, right. they might have a roommate and that's it. They might talk to the other other people, but we really are trying to get through this winter and things are getting better. But it's been hard on, on and faculty and staff for that matter, too. Right. Because we've, we've all kind of started like. Zooming, you know, we got to this point of leveraging the efficiency of Zoom. We're all Zooming back to back, eight, 10, sometimes for me, 12 hours a day. Yeah, and so we can get burned out. You do, you do. Yeah. And you like, and we're giving permission to people like Zoom meetings don't always have to be an hour. They can be 45 minutes, a half an hour. <laughs> That's and right. Buffers built in. We got this crazy thing and they all got to be an hour. So, um, so we're, we're, we're learning about ourselves. We're learning about our tolerances with zoom and, um, we're giving people permission to kind of shape it. So it works for them. One of, one of the other challenges that I hear is the technology piece of it and, and just having specifically the hardware to run some of the programs, especially for industrial designers, you know, these, uh, you know, programs, rendering programs, CAD programs, they're pretty intensive, uh, GPU and CPU perspective. So what about those students who are coming into school or who now have to work from home um, or learn from home? What, what's that What's that experience like for them? And how are you guys working to get them the technology that they need? Because that, that seems like a gap in my mind in, in terms of what yeah. you have access to. So is, is that being resolved in any way or what's that What's that like? Yeah. So here's a couple of things. So with that grant that we got for $1.2 million, we invested in VDI, Virtual Desktop Infrastructure. And what that is, is a, a program and some hardware on our end that allows students to access our powerful computers and software from any type of laptop or desktop that they have. And so they're actually what they're doing is tapping in 
to our infrastructure uh, virtually or, or through the internet. And that allows them to do the very complicated work that they need to do with high-end computers and software. That's been a game changer for our, our design students so they can design from their, their dorm room, their, their apartment, their mom and dad's basement. So that's one thing that we did that, did, that was very helpful. We got that in place in the nick of time last summer. Um, there was bugs to work out, but that that seemed to work. We also purchased yeah. some more equipment that students could check out. But then, you know, last fall, we were able to, we opened in a hybrid. So if you wanted wanted or needed to do, you know, rapid prototyping or 3D printing, you could come to campus and do that um, and use, use the shops and that because we knew that the, and, the, and even in some cases, computer labs, um, we just wanted to keep the, the density down. So we were, we, we kept our shops, our studios, our um, labs open last fall and this winter. And so the, the, the bulk of our classes, 50% of our classes are hybrid or blended, meaning that they're doing some stuff virtually online, but then coming to campus for the 3D work. And the other 50% is all online. Oh, the other, no, the other 50% is, um, the, so about 30, 35%, uh, and they're all mostly liberal arts classes. Those are online. Okay. There, and then there's 15% that are all on campus and that's, um, like your craft classes, like, you know, glass blowing, you're not going to do in your dorm room. Right. Um, <laughs> and also a lot of the art practice, fine arts that's in person as well. So do you, do you see any alterations? You, you mentioned the use of Unreal Engine, um, some of these other software yeah. programs. Do you see any long-term changes in, in alterations of the way students are educated uh, in the future? Yeah, I think in CCS, uh, and again, COVID is sort of catalyzing this. We need to think about education in a sort of 365 days a year more, and that you need to be able to access a great institution like CCS more than just every September in that we are start, we're, we are stuck in an agrarian model where, you know, you got done with the, the, your farming and you started school in September. And then when spring planning came in May, you stopped school there and then, and then worked on the farm. Well, that, that's a, <laughs> that really, yeah. it doesn't really need to be that way. Yeah, right. And so, so that's one thing that we got to You need to be able to access CCS in some educational way. 365 days a year. We also need to have um, experiences that are shorter duration certificates. We're working on those. We're working on better, on being more transfer friendly, using the summer more. Um, there are a million working adults in the state of Michigan that have some art, that have some college credit, but no degree. We think the number of them would, would do well at CCS. So having a blended approach moving forward you know, having an all-person approach, of course, we still want to have, and that really is what a lot of students have. But there are other students that they have jobs or kids that want to finish your degree or do a graduate degree, which we have. We need to be much more flexible and open to a wider range of students. We were talking about diversity earlier. Well, there's working adults and there's transfer students. And so access and having a strong online presence, synchronous and asynchronous online learning, blended or hybrid, that's all needed. And coming out of COVID, we're going to be much stronger in those areas. And that's, as I mentioned earlier, coming out of COVID stronger is what we need to do. 
And so that's what, that's how we see it, that we're going to move. We're gonna, still going to have the big September start, but we're going to have it be where it's more flexible and um, there'll be opportunities to do more in the summertime. Um, and then look at some of our pricing. Uh, I, you know, when I look at stuff, Craig, and we'll talk about costs, you know, we, we can be more cost effective in the summertime and that would actually help students too. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting piece of it. I, I've seen a number of options popping up now that are these kind of shorter term experiences or classes that you could take that give you either certificate or a better understanding or better grasp on a certain area. And one that I'm, yeah, uh, yeah uh, one that I'm particularly interested in is, you know, this, the, the economy of the self-employed, which I think is so mm-hmm. important for those who are in an art school. Many people come out, the numbers now are roughly 33% of the economy are self-employed individuals. But I think for, you know, people coming out of art school, so many of us have to, or end up not have to want to, start their own business, their own consulting practice, or they're out in their own kind of building their own business. I'm interested to hear w- what your take is on, you know, adding those business classes and, and some means to kind of understand the business world for those students who are going through art school or art education. It's, it's a must. And we've had some of those classes in place and we just ramped it up this year, even more with more entrepreneurship um, classes Students have to, graduates have to, as you know, you got to have breadth and depth and the world needs breadth and depth, not just depth, not just breadth. And so we have an entrepreneurship minor. Um, we're doing more with, with classes that connect with students about how do you make a living? How do you cash flow? Even my class, the second half of my class is really being, how do you cash flow with your, your creativity Great. As you graduate, and I, we were using the book uh, Daniel Pink, "The Cell Is Human." Classes on resources. We look at a, you know who has what and why, but we look at how do you make your way as an entrepreneur? Because you're right, Craig. More and more people are having to make a living as independent contractors, designers, freelancers, and the, even students who land a design job at, say, Ford or GM or FCA now Stellantis. They may in five years or 10 years be in a position where they want to or have to be a freelancer. And so I think every school in the country needs to be teaching students how to be entrepreneurs. And some students like it naturally. Other students, they don't really want to, they want to work. They, they, they don't have the confidence quite yet to like start their own company, mm-hmm. but you want to give them the confidence through experiences to at least be able to make a living as a freelancer or entrepreneur. And so it's, that that's really needed. And, you know, the certificates, doing more of the certificates, I think there's a real opportunity for CCS to, to do more for our alumni who may want to come back and get some, 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 some education or experience in an area that they didn't take when they were a student. Uh, and that's another reason to have certificates. Our current students can do them. Our alumni can do them um, because, that, you know, CCS, four years of CCS is not the end of your learning. As you right. know, you're, we're, we're all lifelong learners and to create that culture. And we want to have more career support, support for not only our current students, but for alumni. So, <clears throat> so moving forward, you have to have more business and be clear about it, be deliberate about it. And, um, and there are a lot of great business. I'm a big fan of Jim Collins, good to great, great by choice. That that which he really studies, you know, great companies and good companies and what goes good and bad. But there's a lot of great stuff out there, uh, literature and books. And we're we actually have found finding some really great faculty 
were able to teach this entrepreneurship. And we are actually finding them who are artists and designers who are willing to share what they've learned. Um, Val Jenkins, who's the chair of our art practice, which used to be fine arts, she was a working, she's a working artist and she's made a living and she's now leading uh, the fine arts program where that students are learning from her about how do you really make a living with sculpture, printmaking, painting, um, yeah. performance and installation. And same thing for craft. Kim Hardy is the chair there is introducing uh, more entrepreneurship uh, and that goes across entertainment arts and illustration in Wells Course, the product. Yeah, I love to hear it because I think that gives you the tools in the toolbox to really you know, achieve something greater in your career. And to your point, you know, if, even if you're not ready for it right out of school and, you know, you do want that experience in some of these bigger companies, but then you might move on to you know, doing your own consulting or kind of going off on your own. I think just having that in your back pocket, or at least uh, it, you've had the experience, you've had some level of education on the business side of things, I think it's so important. So I'm glad to hear that it's an initiative and you know, you guys are really pushing on that across the board too, not just within industrial design. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to understand. So we're getting towards the end of the, the podcast here. And I feel like at the end of every episode, I always ask about the future of the topic, but our, our topic in general is the future of design education. So <laughs> to ask you, that would be a, a recap, but is there anything else from, you know, in terms of the future education that you see that, that you don't feel like we've necessarily covered here and you think is important to, to talk about what, what would you say that is, or is there anything that we've, we've missed here? And no, I think we covered it, but maybe if I could just put a finer point on a couple of comments that I sure. made. Um, one of them is um, the future fully for college education, and it has to use inclusive design. We have to really understand um, the complexities of our, our students of all ages and the world. And that means we have to be, I think in some ways, has to, we have to be really good anthropologists as well as designers. And that, that I think, you know, I, I, and this is maybe more of me saying this, but I think there are a lot of people, a lot of artists and designers are very community focused. Um, one of the things that made us, I think, really get through last fall and will help us get through this winter is that art and design students tend to be really community focused. So I think sometimes the stereotypes out there are these, you know, um, students are people that are really, you know, introverted and don't want to really interact. And there's some of that. But a lot of art and design students tend to be concerned about the environment. Artists and designers tend to be concerned about just social justice issues equity and are the first to point that out as opposed to other people. So I think part of the future for at least art and design schools and especially like CCS is that we need to be educating artists and designers for the greater good. And that um, there really is a lot of work that needs to be done in the world. As we all know, we're all witnessing about how we interact as humans locally, nationally, and globally. And I think my experience is that artists and designers are are sort of more into that. And I think we can cultivate that even more at CCS. Well, I, I appreciate you giving that that insight, but also, Don, telling us about, you know, the experience that you went through to get to where you are now and also breaking down the costs of uh, CCS for us and in our education in general, because I think that's a piece that's so important. And also speaking about the you know, diversity and getting more women into leadership roles in design and, of course, the impact of COVID. So I, I appreciate you taking the time today to 
give us the, the insights and, and hear from your perspective, your take on, on all these various topics and uh, understand the future design education. It's been a real honor to have you on the show today and, and hear your voice and, and what you have to say. It's been incredible. Thank you so much. This has been great, Craig. I really enjoyed this. You're welcome. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the chat today with Don. I really appreciate that he took the time to uncover some of those unknowns about the business of design schools. I think that side of it is pretty fascinating in an area that I didn't know much about. If you want to learn more about the school, you can visit collegeforcreativestudies.edu. If you want to learn more about episodes that are launching on Explodeview, you can visit at Explodeview Podcast on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time on Explodeview.